you're fired. Those were the words that Arthur and Bernie heard when they showed up at their do-it-yourself hardware story called Handy Dan's years ago. Those are hardly the words that come to mind when you think about success. And yet, many of the world's most successful people found success by working through adversity. They learned how, if you will, to fail forward. They learned how to overcome the struggles and problems they were a part of. Instead of seeing adversity as a curse, Arthur and Bernie decided to see adversity as a blessing. And so, the next year, they decided to open their own do-it-yourself hardware store. In 1979, they opened their first store in Atlanta. In the next 20 years, they opened up 775 stores and had over $40 billion in sales. The name of the store they opened? It's what you and I know as Home Depot. What is it that caused them to see adversity as such an opportunity? It was their attitude. We're starting a series called Overcome, and we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. Today we're talking about overcoming adversity. And all of us here today, in one form or another, are probably experiencing some form of adversity. And yet it's amazing in our culture that we will do almost anything to avoid adversity. Paul did not say avoid adversity. He said we must overcome adversity. Now, you may remember this book of Philippians. Paul is a prisoner in Rome. He's a prisoner for simply preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every day the palace guard is assigned to watch him. They're chained to him, one guard on one side and one on the other. They serve for several hours and they rotate. He literally has a captive audience to share the good news of Jesus Christ with. And so he is then writing to the Christians around the world, but specifically to the town of Philippi, and he's encouraging them by what they're going through to hang in there. Because he says, look, I'm in prison, and I want to know that God's going to help me overcome this hardship as well. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at Philippians 1, starting in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Let's read this, and then we'll come back and try to apply it to our lives. Now, I, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, 
I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without ever frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but also to suffer for him, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. We're talking about overcoming adversity, and Paul has to deal with a lot of different things going on in his mind. Is he going to live? Is he going to die? Well, how in the world will he show his faith to those around him? First of all, Paul has to make a choice. When it comes to adversity, he has to make a choice. He says, and the choice I will make is, I will maintain an attitude of joy. Now, why did he have this attitude of joy? Because he said the gospel is being spread. It's being spread all over Rome. Can you imagine the palace guards, who almost like the Secret Service guarding the president, that they would literally go home every day after being chained to him, having a several-hour-long sermon preached to them by Paul, and they would go home and share what Paul had said about Jesus to their friends, to their family members, and literally the gospel was going out everywhere. You see, for most of us, if we were in prison, what would we do? We would wring our hands and we'd want to give up, but not Paul. Paul says it's an opportunity to advance the gospel. Uh, Secondly, he had this attitude of joy because the believers are being bold. It says that when they knew that Paul was in prison, it says the believers were courageous and fearless. In the last couple of weeks with the men here at Windover Hills, we've been talking about being bold. We've said, be bold. Yeah, we have to be bold. We've got to be courageous. There's this opportunity for us to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Whether with our family or with our friends, we have the opportunity to be bold. This is a great time for us to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ here in the triad. You know why? Because in most of us, when things are going well, we don't think we need God. We tend to forget about God. But when things are not going well, that's when we're open. The Upper South is one of the top four depressed economies in the U.S. Tough times. People losing their jobs. People losing their 401K. People losing their homes. People losing services that they once enjoyed. It's a great time to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a great time for the church to be the church. You and I have a choice on how we're going to respond to adversity. We can respond with bitterness and say, God, why are you doing this to me? I mean, I go to church sometimes. I I give some money. I pray. I love you. Why in the world am I going through this? Or we can respond with joy and say, what a great opportunity to share the gospel. Listen, God's in control. We'll get through this. We'll learn from it. We'll be stronger. And in adversity and tough times, we need to step back and rethink our purpose and our mission in life. Paul says we can't avoid adversity, but we can overcome it. How do you do it? Maintain an attitude of joy. Secondly, take a look at Paul's hope. Paul says, I'm hoping that I will be delivered. He was believing that he would be released from prison and he would be freely among the people. His hope came from two things. First of all, through the prayers of the people. Paul knew that God answered prayers. In his life, we had seen several prayers of the people work so many times, so many ways. And you know, if you're a believer, you know that people have prayed for you. You've seen God answer prayer. And Paul says, I'm going to be released because the people are praying. Also, it's through the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally Jesus Christ living within us 24-7. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
When Christ, with Christ in you, you can overcome anything you face. When you hit rock bottom, when you face adversity, never lose that hope. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, think, and imagine according to his power that is at work within us. God can give you hope. You know, next, let's look at Paul's struggle. He's torn between living and dying. Now, do you ever read the Bible and you come across a situation where you kind of check out and say, I can't quite relate to this? Like back in college when I would read the story about a talking donkey in the Old Testament. Can't quite relate to that one. And I'm going to suggest here in this passage it's tough to relate to. And most of us can't relate to it either. He's torn between living and dying. We're, torn, we're not torn between living and dying. We're, we use that language sometimes. A very small number of us can actually relate to this type of situation. But even if you can li- relate, listen up. It's amazing what Paul says. And sometimes, for you and I, we're torn between a one-car garage or a two-car garage. We're torn between eating in or eating out, Rio Grande today or somewhere else. We're torn between giving 2% or giving 10% to the Lord. We're torn between trying to pay our mortgage or trying to pay our credit card. Paul says, I'm torn between living and dying. And then here's what he says. He's asking, Lord, what's the best thing to do? And he makes the incredible statement, if I live for me to live is Christ. If I live, Lord, I'm going to keep on doing what I've been doing. And I'm going to, to talk to everyone I can about the difference you've made in my life. And then he says a second thing that kind of catches us off guard. He says, to die is gain. How in the world do you die and get ahead? He says, it's far better because I would be in the presence of Jesus. You see, because Paul was ready to die, he was ready to live. I want to suggest to you that until you're ready to die, you won't really be ready to live. You see, because Paul was confident of where he was going to spend eternity, he says, you know what? I know I'm going to be with Jesus. Either way, I win. Therefore, I'm going, to, I'm going to donate the rest of my life to serving and living for Jesus. Paul's choice, when adversity comes, you've got to hang in there and maintain an attitude of joy. His hope, I'm going to be delivered and get out of prison. His struggle, I'm wrestling with whether to live or die. And then his decision. Paul says, I will stay alive to advance the gospel. Why? He says that there's still work to do. I'm going to live life to the fullest for God's purpose. Now, why did he want to stay alive and advance the gospel? Because Paul believed that his example would encourage others. Here he is in prison, and he's not complaining. And when they saw that Paul was rejoicing in Jesus Christ, his example would encourage them. As I said, most of us, when things are going good, we don't think we need God. Right now, people who don't go to church, though, are watching us as Christians, like a hawk. And they're saying, how are you responding when you're losing your job? How are you responding when you lost your home or had to downsize? How are you responding when you're having tough times health-wise? It's at those times we have an incredible opportunity to put faith in action and advance the gospel. Because when people are hurting, when they're under adversity, they are looking, they are watching. Church, this is one of the greatest times for us to stand strong for Jesus Christ. Our example has an incredible impact on our friends, our family, our neighbors, and our co-workers. You know, also for Paul, his presence would bring them joy. Why? I mean, you can imagine 
that if Paul gets out of prison and goes back to Philippi and shows up at their prayer meeting, I mean, that would kind of amp up your prayer meeting, wouldn't it? Now, here you were praying for this guy to be released, and the answer to your prayer shows up. And you say, wow, God does answer prayer. And so he knew that if he lived, his presence among them would bring them great joy. So here, let's look at Paul's challenge then. Paul's challenge to them, and believe it or not, it's the, it's the same challenge Paul has for us in difficult times when we live. Paul's challenge was to live a life worthy of the gospel. In fact, it says in Philippians, conduct yourself. What does that mean? The word picture there is, in the original language of conduct yourself, is tied to citizenship. We're citizens of the United States, and we're blessed to be citizens of this country. But Paul is saying, as Christians, we are citizens of a far greater kingdom. And that kingdom is of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, I want you to remember your status and your responsibility. There are times, and before my, my kids get out of the car at school and activities, we say, now remember, you're a raven, and this is what we stand for in this community. And this is what you're, respons- you're responsible for, and this is the way you're supposed to live. And we usually end it with, be a blessing to somebody today. As Christians, we're not perfect, but we are expected to be different. And I want to, I want to say to you, brothers and sisters here at Wendover Hills, we are called to live to a higher standard. We really are, because we are children of the Almighty God, and that name means something. So what's it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? This phrase is used in four of the books of the Bible, and I, I think Colossians, it explains it the best. So let's take a moment to turn to Colossians 1, verse 10. Paul, who wrote this uh, book as well, says this, We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. <coughs> he mentions about seven things we'll, we'll blitz through here on what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. Number one, please the Lord. That's what it means to live worthy of the gospel. Please God. Make sure your behavior is consistent with your status. When we walk out and say to other believers, uh, oh, excuse me, when we walk out and say we are believers of Jesus Christ and we live like the rest of the world, we diminish the power of the gospel. destroys our witness. On the other hand, when we walk out of this place and we carry high the name of Jesus, it pleases the Lord. We're set apart. Isn't it interesting that years ago you could simply say, I'm a Christian, and people knew immediately you were different. But we have so diluted what it means to be a Christian Is a Christian somebody who prays once in a while? Somebody who goes to church ever so often? What is a Christian? We have to add all kinds of adjectives. You're a spirit-filled Christian. You're a born-again Christian. You're sanctified, fully devoted. We don't know what to call it because we've so watered down what it means to simply say the word, I'm a Christian. And this often shows up loud and clear in the way we deal with adversity. So, live a life pleasing to the Lord. Secondly, we bear fruit. Bear fruit. That means we bring people to Christ. The key to walking worthy with God is not just showing up to church each week and go home. It's for us to reach others for Jesus. It's to bear fruit. You'll never have a more powerful platform to reach others for Jesus Christ than in how you handle diversity or adversity. How you forgive, how you endure pain, how you walk forward from something that's not your fault, 
bear fruit in every opportunity. Number three, grow in knowledge. We're to grow in knowledge. Now, knowledge isn't knowledge so you can show up to your small group and be the Bible answer man or woman. You know, a little word of advice, that's not enjoyable to listen to your 20 or 30 minute answer and background on the text. That's not the purpose of knowledge. The purpose of knowledge is to read the Word of God and let it give us direction on how we are to live 24-7. And that is so vital when it comes to adversity. And better yet, before. Fourth, become stronger. Our strength, if, we want, if we're going to walk worthy, is not from ourselves. It's from Jesus Christ. If you're going through adversity, then you need to the strength of Jesus Christ to get through. Have you ever heard the phrase, we're the visiting team? It means we're not at home in this world if we desire to live a life worthy of the gospel. So we need his strength and his endurance to overcome because otherwise adversity is just going to eat us alive. Next, have endurance. Endurance is a term a distance runner would use to describe a run that's going on and on and on and on. Sometimes my on and on and on is really just a walk up to the top of the street. We need endurance to deal with difficult circumstances we face. You know why? Because the circumstances are good, up. Circumstances are bad, down. And because they were up and down, we need endurance to hang in there through the tough times. Can I let you in on a little secret? We all face tough times. You're not alone. Every person experiences it. So God knew we would need endurance to overcome. The passage we read says, be patient next. We often need patience for difficult people. Make sense? We all encounter people that sometimes they get under our skin and cause us to want to wring our necks, right? We've probably even been that person if we were honest. There's no greater example of how to be patient with difficult people than Jesus Christ, even to the point of death on a cross. So live a life worthy of the gospel and follow his example. The Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. Don't add more adversity by being impatient. Like, Give somebody an extra second at the light before the, you lay on your horn, right? Yeah. So endurance for difficult circumstances, patience for difficult people. And finally, the passage says, be thankful. Why? We share an eternal life. Our qualification comes from the fact that we're children of the Almighty God. Live a life worthy of your calling. You are a Christian. 1 Peter chapter 2 says it this way, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's incredible. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In other words, we're sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And God calls us to make a difference. So let's wrap a bow around this thing. The application question is what we've been talking about. So how do you overcome adversity? I want to give you a statement that you might have never thought about, and I want you to think about it for a few minutes. How do you overcome adversity? You must stay mission-centered instead of self-centered. Now, I know your blanks are filled in, but don't check out on me, because the final three minutes might be the most important thing we say. Why is it that I say we have to stay mission-centered instead of self-centered? Because when we are self-centered, we tend to focus only on circumstances. We focus just on circumstances. That's why when somebody asks you if you're having a good day, it's fair answer to say good or bad because circumstances are usually good or bad. Job's going good, it's a good circumstance. Health's going bad, it's a bad circumstance. Gas is up, good. Or, or excuse, gas down, good. Gas up, bad. 
And the focus will always be on circumstances if the focus is on ourself. But let me turn this around. When you're mission-centered, your focus is not on your circumstances. Your focus is on your cause. Focus on the cause. You may ask, what are you talking about? If you're focused on living a life worthy of the gospel and you're reaching people for Jesus Christ, every day is a good day. Don't miss that. Business is good, thank God. Business is bad, doesn't change the mission. What's the mission? What's God's plan and purpose for your life? God has one for each of us. And when we walk with God in your purpose, your purpose turns around and it works on you. It gives you power to live in the present and to overcome adversity. And so that is why we need to be mission-centered rather than self-centered. doesn't minimize the hurts of life. doesn't change the way we care for one another when, when they are experiencing tough times. And the same is true for the church. When a church turns self-centered and says, what are uh, you doing to meet my needs? What happens? The church turns inward. But mission-centered churches focus on the mission. Win people for Christ. Train people up to be disciples. Care for the needs of our community. And when a church is mission-minded, they will take care of the needs felt by adversity. They'll take care of those needs people are facing. Giving of our time doesn't become an issue. Giving of our money is not an issue. Giving of ourselves is not an issue when we're mission-centered. So together, let's overcome adversity. Let's live this life worthy of the gospel. Now I know in a group this size, there are many of you that are dealing with adversity that's rocking your foundation. And this morning, I want to give you the opportunity. It's just two steps in front of me, but we call it our altar. I want to invite you to come down here to lay before God, to get in that posture of surrender, and to do a little business surrendering your adversity before God and letting him change your heart, change your attitude, and letting him work on healing you to ridding the adversity from your life. This morning, I know that some of you, it's a job-related thing. For some of you, it's marriage. For some of you, it's how your relationship with your kids are going. And for some of you, it's a health situation. And so I invite you this morning just to come down, to lay before God, and just lay it at his altar. Let him receive it and work with it and let him let you walk out of here transformed this morning. So would you come and, and join me? In just a moment, we'll pray.